Welcome to the Homeschooling Workshop Cassette Tape Series. This is tape number three, entitled, Ten Steps to Beginning Your Homeschool Right. Our instructor is Mr. Greg Harris, author of The Christian Homeschool and director of Christian Life Workshops. If you have further questions regarding Christian homeschooling, please write to us at Christian Life Workshops, 180 Southeast Kane Road, Gresham, Oregon, 97080. We will be glad to send you a resource packet of information to help you teach your children successfully at home. The packet is free for the asking, but if you can do so, please include $1 to cover our postage and handling. In this third session, Greg will present a practical step-by-step -step plan for setting up your homeschool program on the best foundation, biblically, academically, and legally. And now here's Greg with 10 steps to beginning your homeschool right. So those are supplements. Number five, step number five, get organized and stay organized. It's one thing to clean up your, your office, it's another thing to keep it clean. It's one thing to organize your homeschool program, and it's another thing entirely to stay on track, isn't it? So what we're going to look at is ways that you can get organized and then stay organized. And to help you do that, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the household organizer that we've developed uh, for that purpose. First of all, you've got to get the big picture of your school year. Decide, are you going to teach for a nine-month or a 12-month school program? If you're going to go for a nine-month program, then you're going to have to finish things faster. If you go with a 12-month program, you don't have to do more, you just have more time to do the same amount of material. We have suggested for several years now that you go with a 12-month program and plan to have 10 to 12 week sessions with about a two week break between each session. During that two week break, do something special as a family. If you want to travel or if you just want to stay home and turn the phone off or something like that. But to do something special as a family. Let the kids get out and have their vacations more often, but only about two weeks at a time. Now you can stretch that. If you need three weeks, you can take it. If you only need one week, you can do that. But the point is, by having a full 12-month program, your children don't lose so much during the, quote, summer break. You don't have to go back and repeat as much that way. And you find that your children just keep right on, and especially, they, they move into the lifestyle of learning. Learning doesn't become something that stops and starts, but it rather becomes a year-round pattern and recreation also becomes a year-round pattern rather than something that you get too much of and then none of. Then too much of it and none of it. I think it's better for us to plan and design our lives rather than letting the school system make those decisions. Your major field trips should be planned. There were times when I was growing up and I used to uh, decide to take a field trip instead of going to school. And uh, some people have, uh, in homeschooling have taken the same kind of field trips, but a, a real field trip is not skipping school. It is an educational outing. And in order for you to keep track of these and to do them right, you need to, to keep some kind of documentation for them. This is a field trip travel planning record. 
Now, the reason I use travel planning record there rather than just saying planner or record is that it's intended to serve both purposes. It begins as a plan, but it culminates as a record. Understanding that, you don't have to write anything more than once. You can simply use your plans to become your documentation, your records that the work has been done. Planning a major field trip is no small thing. You need to know where you're going, who your resource people are. There are certain reading projects that should be completed before you go, certain questions for discussion while you're there. There should be follow-up activities when you return home, and all of these things should, should be documented in very concise terms so that you can find this information anytime you want it. Up here in the corner, we've got a, a field trip key code there so that all we have to do once we give a number to this field trip, it becomes FT slash SCI number five. And the result is that we know that science field trip number five is right here in the science folder, probably somewhere between number four and number six, right? And the result is we know where, what we did on that, that day, we know what we're planning to do, and uh, you will never have to write anything more than once. Another tool that will help you tremendously is a repeating weekly schedule. Now, a repeating weekly schedule is an ideal week. And that means, of course, that it never really happens this way. Okay? But the goal is to know what an ideal week would be like if you ever had one. That way you'll know when you would have eaten lunch if it had been an ideal week. Now, in an ideal week, or a weekly, repeating weekly schedule, it gives your children a map of time where they should be spending their time every day of the week. They should know, and there are some items on here that are what we call anchors and other things that are very fluid. The anchors are immovable, usually because other people are involved, and if you miss them, you still have to pay for them. Things like piano classes or getting to the gym. You're paying for that. If you don't show up, that's your business, but you paid for it anyway. Now, don't, have you noticed how you have a tendency to get to things like that? You know, you may move uh, heaven and earth to get there. You will be there for that doctor's appointment, right? Because it's, it's an anchor in your routine. Other things are very flexible. You can kind of move around, work it in where it fits. But by having a plan, as you see here, knowing when it's time to have Spanish class, when it's time to be doing business work over in the office for Joshua. He has to have an idea of when he's supposed to be doing his computer training, when his other schoolwork is to be accomplished. And so, Sono has a, a plan. Joel has his own schedule. I have one of these schedules as well. Sono has organize all of us, you know, with this kind of material, and, and I can go in and I can see what my ideal week would look like if I ever had one. Now, these things are not just to be made and, and then ignored, but rather they're intended to help you move in the direction you want to go in. If you don't have a plan, there's no accountability at all. If you have a plan, then you can begin to move, and each week you get a little closer to that ideal week. Then it all falls apart but then you start moving closer to it again. But because we're a family, because we have people involved, none of these things will ever operate like clockwork, will they? Do we all know that? 
you, you don't you don't work with people the way you work with things. It always has to be a matter of of negotiation and and bringing together uh, sometimes pieces that don't sometimes fit very well. Your maintenance of of accurate school records a very important part. Your curriculum selection record is, is an important one. This is what my wife uses. When she goes to the local library and checks out some material to use with Joel or with Joshua, she fills in one of these boxes. The reason is, even though she doesn't own that material, it went through our school program and therefore it is worthy of being documented. It also makes her a real valuable resource to other homeschool moms in our area because they can just ask her for copies of what she's used and they know she's got it. They know she can just hand them a stack and they'll have complete details as to what Sona has used that particular year for the boys. Lesson plans are another area that uh, some people get really tangled in because they don't understand how a lesson plan is supposed to be maintained. A lesson plan is not intended to have great detail. You don't write paragraphs in these boxes so much as you write notes to yourself. If you're using consistent uh, shorthand, if you're using codes, and the codes are clearly defined, and you use them consistently, you can get away with just a very minimal amount of writing to organize your lesson plan. That's why it takes less time to, to create your lesson plan, is you're not spending time writing out a, a journal, you're just jotting notes. For Sono, for instance, in language and, language and spelling, she has page numbers and lesson numbers. That's just about it. She occasionally inserts some information about uh, an activity or a quiz or a test, and all of this is, that's her lesson plan for that particular week. Monday through Friday in language and spelling. In science, she has her uh, plan as well. The organizer's weekly lesson planner is a two-page spread. So you have room for a total of seven subjects here. And now there are some subjects, Sona for instance has split PE, physical education, and extracurricular activities and deals with them all in one column because that's, that's convenient for her. So. Uh, when you're organizing your lesson plan, you can adapt the forms to fit your need. You don't have to waste a whole column for a subject that has very little in it. You can combine a column and use it for both. Grades and attendance records. Some people feel, why should I have to keep track of my student's attendance because he's staying home? But the fact is, that there are days when he's in school at home and there are days when he is not in school at home. If he has the flu, he's probably not in school that day. Even if he's reading in bed, it's not a typical school day. And you will actually have more credibility if there are at least a few days a year when you can say in your records, we didn't have school that day. If, because if it's too perfect, people look at that and think, you wouldn't know what a school day looked like if you saw one. If you think every day is a school day, you just have a pretty broad definition of a school day. But if you can say, no, there are days when I know we didn't have school, then that gives you more credibility instead of less. The format that we've adapted for the organizer allows you to keep track of three students in eight subject areas for ten weeks 
including their major examinations and so on, in just two pages. If you have four kids, you just simply photocopy additional pages of these in order to create enough to cover the needs of the fourth child. Your health records. Health records are easily overlooked. That nice lady that used to come to your school and check your ears and eyes is probably not coming to your house this year, is she? And uh, you're going to have to go out and find her or somebody like her. You may contact the local Christian schools and ask them if they have a particular day that they devote to that purpose. Uh, you may uh, organize it as a support group or a state association to have all the children have their eyes and ears checked and basic checkout, uh, educational checkup. Keep the records on this sheet and that will give you more credibility and also make sure you don't miss anything. If you decide not to administer a particular immunization or something of that sort, document if your reasons for that. Don't ever let something look like it was just forgotten or that you just didn't think it was important. Always leave a little note saying, we thought about it, we decided not to do it, and here's why. And that way, no one can accuse you of being negligent. They may question your wisdom, but they can't say you were negligent that way. And then chronological file folders. What do we put into our children's folders? Let these folders accumulate over time with the most recent materials that your children have done in the front of the file. That way, as you are, you don't even have to go back and organize them that way. You just keep a file for each subject, the most recent material at the front of each file, and if you have written work and artwork, if you keep extracurricular activities, documentation, receipts from lessons, uh, purchases related to the particular sport or activity, tape recordings and photographs. If your children build a model with, some, with Legos or with paper mache or, or something like that, how are you going to document something like that? A description probably would not do it justice. A photograph might. And so by having a photograph of these projects, if they, if they plant a garden, take a photograph. If they build a tree house, take a photograph. And then that photograph becomes an educational document for you. Because your home school is different from a conventional school, you're going to have to use different kinds of documentation to capture it all and to make it look as good as it really is. Tape recordings allow you to let your children read a passage uh, from the Bible, a passage from some literature that they care, that they really like. Just read it. And then keep that tape safe. And a few months later, let them read something again. It may be the same thing or it may be another passage entirely. But over a period of time, plugging the same tape in, someone will be able to take a reading of the history of your child's ability to read. And in a matter of 15 minutes, they may be able to cover two or three years worth of reading development. That's impressive. And, and I, we've got that for Joel. We've, in fact, we've even resorted to videotape in a few cases where we've got Joel reading on a videotape and Joshua doing things, doing some of his flips and so on, so that we've got something to look back on, not only for the family to appreciate later and for the boys to appreciate when they're grown up, but also for us to be able to share with others who would have any questions about our homeschooling. Invest in a basic library. 
Now, before I talk about what needs to go into your library, let's mention how you might be able to keep whatever you have in your library, or at least keep it longer. We've found this to be probably one of the most useful and valuable sheets in the entire organizer. It's an lending library bookmark sheet. And that means that it allows you to keep a permanent record of who borrowed what from you. It allows you to put a bookmark in every book that you loan out, or if you feel like it's warranted, you may tape this to the inside of the book that you're loaning out to that person so that they will have a record of who they borrowed it from. Very few of us, I'm willing to believe that very few of us intentionally keep somebody's book for a year or more. But how many of you have ever done it without intending to? I have. And so it's a matter of organization. If you keep this record, they keep this record, just think, you'll be able to get books back after loaning them out. I, for the life of me, cannot remember who I've loaned certain things to. I'm just now beginning to be faithful in writing down before I hand it to them and, and, and not feeling like that's insulting to them. To just write it down and say, okay, I, I gave it to this person. So, the home library that you develop is going to have a lot of material in it, but these are the things that I feel should be standard equipment. A set of Bible Truth for School Subjects by Dr. Ruth Haycock. Now, this set is a four-volume set, and I personally believe it is the most important tool you'll have in your home. It's a four-volume set published by the Association of Christian Schools International. This deals with 30 subjects of study and, deal, and gives you everything the Bible has to say about over 30 subjects. Botany, zoology, art, history, science, and all the subcategories within those subjects. The result is, is that you can very quickly find what does the Bible have to say about craftsmanship? What does the Bible have to say about reading or writing or arithmetic? And the result is, is you'll be able to walk in the light of God's word better. But I find that this material is most useful and most helpful to you in your homeschooling. If every time you give your children an assignment to write a book report or to do a report on any subject, you make it part of the assignment that they not only look it up in their encyclopedia, they not only use the English dictionary to make sure they're spelling correctly, but they also have to shed the light of God's word on it by looking up something related to their topic in the Bible truths, quoting a verse, and making some kind of comment on how this verse relates to the subject that they're writing about. Now, it's the cumulative effect that you're going to get. Over a period of years, your children will have a much better grasp on what the Bible has to say about a broad area of subjects than many pastors do. Because as pastors, many of us are trained to deal with the theological implications of Scripture, but not the practical implications of making decisions and in all these subject areas. And so I really encourage you, if you can't afford to get anything else, this is probably one of your best or the best investment you can make in terms of a home library. In addition to that, I highly recommend that you get a good English dictionary. And uh, there are many out there. Most of the newer ones are going to be a little bit more humanistic or maybe a lot more humanistic than the older ones. If you really want to get pure, 
I'll go back to the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, which I believe is available somewhere here in the exhibit hall. Most people I, I see are carrying that. And uh, it's wonderful, but you're not going to find a lot of terminology that we use today in the older dictionary. So I suggest in addition to the oldest one that you also get a newer one that you can use for technical terms. A newer encyclopedia set. Not everyone needs to own a new one, but let's face it, if there is no mention of World War II in your encyclopedia set, <laughs> it is of limited use. There's a lot that's happened, you know. Entire maps have changed uh, since then. And so, look at your encyclopedia. It doesn't matter how nice the binding is. That's the thing that drives me nuts. People say, but look at that binding. It's a perfectly good encyclopedia set. Yeah, but so is the phone book from five years ago. You see, you, it gets out of date. You've got to do something about that. Your children are not going to be crawling around the house saying, Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia, where's the encyclopedia if there's not one in the home? But they're going through a certain amount of deprivation if they don't have it. You need to be able to say to your kids, let's go look it up. And how are you going to do that if you don't have an encyclopedia? Now, there is an exhibitor here, uh, I noticed, and it happens to be one that I'm glad is here. So I would encourage you to, uh, you know, make that lady's day. You know, don't uh, make them come to your house and do the whole song and dance and then say, okay, I'll buy one. If you know you need one, just say, where do I sign? You know, if you can afford it. If you can't afford to buy a new one, then check the used bookstores and you may find one that's maybe two or three years old or five years old and there you'll save a lot of money but remember you're, you're getting a dictionary, an encyclopedia that's going to go out of date faster than the one you buy that's new. And uh, I do believe it's a, an investment worth having. If you say, but we don't have the money, then have a garage sale. You've probably got enough stuff that you could get rid of to raise the funds needed to get that encyclopedia set. It's a valuable thing. And finally, learning grammar through writing is a tool. It's a series of grammar rules, and I notice that you can get it out there in the exhibit hall. It's a, uh, a series of grammar rules that allow you to, to let your children correct their own writing by looking at what rule they violated and correcting their own mistakes so that you're correcting the mind of the child rather than just correcting his paper. That's a real important part as well. All right. Moving right along, furnish your home for study. Lots of things you need uh, over a period of time. You don't have to own all of these things at the same time or all at once, but all these things come to those who wait and go to garage sales. Keep your eyes open. You need filing cabinets, you need bookshelves, you need desks and chairs and portable chalkboards and bulletin boards and maps and globes and art supplies. A tape recorder and a record player you may not want your children using a nicer stereo. Maybe you don't have a nicer stereo, but those of you who do may want to consider getting something a little less uh, expensive, something that is nice for the kids to play the records they get from the library on, which sometimes are in various degrees of disrepair, and you don't want to ruin an expensive needle on a library record sometimes. Please don't be the one who ruins the record, though, by using such a lousy record player that you're ruining the record for the next person. A home computer and basic software, I'm, uh, I'm convinced that we need to take more interest in this area. Uh, as you've seen on the order form for Christian Life Workshops, I'm 
coming out now and recommending that every pastor consider seriously investing in a Macintosh computer. Now, the reason I've made that decision, I know the, the advantages and disadvantages of both systems, but I find that, that in terms of a personal tool that a pastor can be up and using quickly and that will not pose an obstacle to him getting his work done, that the interface, the way that the Macintosh works is much easier and is extremely powerful for doing the kind of work he does. All of the materials that publish are published by Christian Life Workshops are developed and typeset on a Macintosh computer. I have some, soft, some Bible software that we've started now sharing with some pastors. It's called The Perfect Word. This is an excellent Bible search software that allows you to cut hours and hours out of every sermon preparation. I mean, you can know in a matter of seconds what particular strings of, of words are found in what verses throughout the scriptures. And it's available in the Greek Tanakh, or in the Hebrew Tanakh and also in the Greek. It's available in the NIV, the King James Version, and the Revised Standard Version. And they're working now on getting the New American Standard Version as well. I also have an IBM compatible and incompatibles Bible search software that we offer. But if you don't own a computer yet, I would, I would steer you in the direction of a Macintosh. If your children, if you want a computer just for home use and just for educational use, an IBM or an Apple computer, you're going to have lots and lots of software to choose from there. The point is not to sell you a computer here, but to let you know computers are going to be as much a part of your child's future as the phone is a part of your future today. It will be used for just about everything you can imagine. And I think we need to be ready to use the tool wisely to understand its, its potential abuses, but also to understand its tremendous potential. And so please, uh, again, you may say, well, I don't have the money to afford that. With the right kind of computer and a little software, you may be able to, to start some kind of small business venture that will pay entirely for the computer you've purchased within a matter of a year. We were able to pay for our entire system very quickly because we quickly developed a few products on that system and started putting them into the marketplace. The organizer itself was developed on the Macintosh. Set up home study centers. Create connections between the places and activities that your children are going to be doing. For general study, I think every student should have an office. For reading, a special chair and a bookshelf. For science, a garage or a basement laboratory. This is not usually something you want to do in a kitchen because you can, you can melt the linoleum sometimes with some of the things the kids are doing. Okay. For music, a special sound ignored room. That means you just pretend you didn't hear it. You know, you, you try to let your children have a place that they can sing their hearts out and nobody's going to go, what was that? And they can hit wrong notes on their trumpets or on the piano and you're not going to be going, oh, that's terrible. You just ignore that sound. As long as they're in there playing, you, and if they come in and say, how did it sound? You say, what? If you weren't there, you didn't hear it, did you? And if they say, you say, if you want me to come and hear you, you have to have me come in the room because I, I can't hear you, or at least I won't hear you unless you invite me to come in and listen. That gives them the freedom to practice without worrying about somebody else listening and, and 
making ugly noises. Art, a special don't look yet art studio. You may not have a separate room for this, but you should at least let the easel be facing the corner so that the child is not worried about somebody walking by and looking over his shoulder and seeing something before it's done. And I suggest you invest in an easel and just basic art supplies and some books of instruction. A few introductory classes with a decent artist would also be a good investment. Get your children started on the right foot and they can go from there pretty well. And finally, stay in touch with other homeschoolers. You've gotten started well, don't fall out of sight. Attend local support group activities. Initiate support group services in your area. You can, you can organize the park day. A park day is simply designating a nice park in your area as the gathering place for homeschool moms at a certain period of time every day of the week, or every or one day a week is what, what we're usually doing across the country. So if you say Tuesday mornings from 9 to 12, if you want to meet other homeschool moms, just go to that park. They'll be, they'll be there. And you don't have to be there every week. But if everybody knows it, it's like restaurants. Nobody goes to the restaurant every night. But just because there enough people go, that there's always someone there. And that's your goal, is to just say, okay, 9 to 12 on a particular day of the week is our park day for this particular area. And you go there and new homeschool moms can find friends real quickly just by going there with their kids and having some time in the park. Skating parties are organized just by asking the local skating rink. Can we use your skating rink for a skating party during regular school hours? He'll be thrilled. It's downtime for him. He's not making any money during that time of the day. And for him to let you and your 300 homeschool kids come to his skating party, he's thrilled. You can, in, in fact, you can ask for a percentage of the tape at the door for your support group. Our group gets 25 cents per kid, and uh, the kids pay a dollar at the door. 25 cents of that goes to the support group. 75 goes to the the skating rink official, and then he gets to rent out skates and sell all the other stuff as well. And the result is he's thrilled, we're thrilled. Co-ops and clubs for teens, there are going to be times where you want to develop positive peer pressure, positive group or social influence. And a science club, a science co-op, a riding club, if you've got kids who have horses, get them into a riding club. If they've got computers or the same kind of computer, get them into a user's group together. The point is, you take initiative. Don't wait for your leadership to figure it out. If it's a need that you feel, you organize it, and you'll take a big load off the shoulders of your homeschool leaders in your state. Marching bands, is that possible? Did you know that not only can your children be in a marching band, you can be in a marching band? <laughs> in, in Phoenix, Arizona, they've got a homeschool marching band with father and son mother and daughter marching with the homeschool banner flying in the major parades in the city. There's no reason that couldn't be done here in Oklahoma as well. So that the next time you have a holiday, you go through whatever steps you have to go through to make sure that your band is there. And do you think people will notice when they see father and son tubas coming down the street? I think it'll send a signal to America that they'll never forget when they realize that in homeschooling, you really can do things together as a family. Matthew 7, verse 12 says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. 
I think that's a pretty good motto for being a good member of your homeschool support group. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.